That's right. We're starting off the very first Week in IndyCar episode after the conclusion of the 2023 NTT IndyCar Series season with the world's dumbest sound. But I love that sound so much. I just couldn't go without it. Plus, I'm recording this sitting in my hotel room in Indianapolis. It is Wednesday night, 10.09 p.m. (sighs) It's been a whirlwind. Was home for two days last week. Got home from Portland. Was home for two days down to my home track in Monterey Wednesday morning and was there for five days. Uh, Got home very late Sunday night. Had two days at home, Monday and Tuesday, then out the door at about 5 a.m. And here I am finally in Indy 4, IMSA, battle on the bricks. So stoked for this. You'll get to see a new initiative. Should be coming out Friday morning. That's why I'm here. So in Indy, but not for IndyCar, for IMSA. But if you know me, you know that I've loved both, worked in both series. Uh, They're just huge parts of my life. So anyways, but here I am. It's time to talk IndyCar. This race last weekend won by our guy, the ageless, can't stop him, won't stop him, Uh -uh, bad boy for life, Uh, Scott P. Diddy Dixon winning yet again, third win in four races Four straight podiums for Dixie, and I want to talk about Alex Pillow having an amazing year. Those five victories of his, never finishing worse than eighth. If you look at Dixie's year, you realize that if it weren't for that getting taken out by Pato at Long Beach, 27th place, every finish before Long Beach for Dixie was fifth or better. Everything after Long Beach, 7th or better. So again, we hail Alex Pillow for never finishing worse than 8th across all 17 races. Just amazing. Last time that was done, 101 years ago. Like, that's how remarkable Alex's achievement happened to be. But I can't sleep on the fact that Dixie, while running up front towards the front at Long Beach if not for that tangling with Pato and whatnot, uh, this guy finished every race afterwards, seventh or better. And if you just look at what he did from, say, mid-Ohio, roughly the mid-season onwards, second place, fourth, sixth, sixth, fifth, first, first, third, and first. So, yeah, came up shy on his teammate, Alex Pillow. Even if he had a good finish at Long Beach, it wouldn't be enough to have made him the champion. Alex had a few extra better days than Dixie. Those two extra wins certainly gave him extra helpings of points. But just want to point out the fact that, yeah, Dixie wasn't able to win the title. But, oh boy, I cannot wait. Assuming the two of them are able to pick up where they left off. I think we're going to see, there's the potential for an even tighter, crazier battle between these two here next season. Another quick note as well, Scott McLaughlin, welcome to to a truly amazing place. Now, I know that he 
and Joseph Newgarden got knocked around, did not exactly have a delightful Sunday in Laguna Seca. I know Joseph in particular, I mean, he did well at Portland, recovered there, but came off of two terrible races in a row. 25th at the Indy GP, no fault of his own. Gateway was another kick in the pants that certainly was not fair, not fun. Three of Joseph's last four finishes were 21st place or worse. That's why he fell from being tucked in right behind Pelot, right behind Dixon, top three. That's why he fell to fifth in the final standings. So again, I can't lay that on him like, boy, he really was driving poorly in the author of his drop to fifth. But I do need to say, Scott McLaughlin, P3 in the championship, top Penske driver. I know that he only had one win this year, and he was very dissatisfied by that. But if you think about where this guy started just a couple years ago as an IndyCar neophyte, basically an open-wheel newbie of all newbies, to think that he was and is Penske's top driver on the season. Also, top qualifier, right? How crazy is that? Our guy, Will Power, no, he went through a hellish year off track with his wife, Liz, some very serious and ongoing health struggles. Great to see Liz at Portland and at Long Beach, uh, at Laguna Seca, but it's been a tough year for Will, taking its toll on him, wasn't able to focus as much as he wanted, didn't win a race, was unable to defend his championship, placed seventh in the standings. I get all that. But if you just think about, in one year, Scott McLaughlin elevated himself to the top performer, best performer across all races for Team Penske, and was their top qualifier, best average qualifying position between himself, Joseph Newgarden, and Will Power. Uh, we're unable to celebrate Scotty Mack as an IndyCar champion this year. But we have to, just have to, celebrate him for this stupendous rise within this all-time great organization and to be the first non-Ganassi contender home in the standings. So just massive respect to our guy Scotty Mack and what he did. And we know for certain, sure, that Joseph Newgarden's going to be on the boil, bringing the heat and we are confident Will Power is going to be back to a more representative version of himself. Uh, but hey, let's give our flowers to Scotty Mack right here, right now, while he deserves them. Let's also say huge thank you, massive, massive thank you to Cooper Tires. Been with us for five years now, six? I mean, I forget how long because they've been with us for so long, but they just concluded... A 14-year run. It's the presenting sponsor of the USF Championships. Through 2022, also providing tires for the Indy Lights series. Think about all of the kids, true kids, almost babies, just coming up into the USF Juniors Championship all the way through Indy Lights last year. 
Uh, and then this year, all three tiers of the USF championships, all presented by Cooper Tires. Why does that matter? It's because the graduation prizes that they have made so many careers keep from falling away, falling apart, giving kids a chance to move up and up and up. <sighs> you think about all of the success that our new Indy NXT champion, Christian Rasmussen, has had winning all three levels, USF 2000, Indy Pro 2000, then getting up to Indy Lights. Now in his second year, what they now call Indy NXT, winning the title. Well, those first two steps on the USF side, that was all done with massive help from Anderson Promotions, the promoter of USF Championships, and Cooper Tires, contributing hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars to send Christian Rasmussen up to each step, including Indy Lights, which they didn't own. It's owned by Roger Penske. Go back and you think about the Kyle Kirkwoods, the Colton Hurtas, the Pato Awards, the Joseph Newgardens, the so many others. So I know I've mentioned this a couple times recently. I just want to drive home this point. So grateful to Anderson Promotions and Cooper Tires. And before them, part of this made it a trio Mazda. The Mazda Road to Indy before they had to pull out there. They all have helped create so many of the young stars that we love. Their careers are moving upwards because of these amazing people, their companies. We obviously say thank you to Cooper Tires. But it's Chris Pantani at Cooper Tires who has believed in this and loved this and pushed this through and gotten the approval from his bosses to do this for 14 years. Miles Rowe is moving up. Name so many other kids. Simon Sykes, our new USF 2000 champions, moving up because of the gifts, the financial gifts being given. So I do look forward to Continental Tire coming in next year, taking over for Cooper and its immense legacy and i believe hope in everything else that they will be contributing as much if not more money to make sure that 2024's usf champions have the same opportunity to go upwards so just again we're doing a little bit of, of flower giving right now to open up the show i know some of you have been <laughs> dming and texting and hammering away hey you said you're gonna say the Groshan thing i will it's coming right up trust me uh hey our good pals at torontomotorsports.com they were they are continue to be partner of the show our very first back in i think 2016 maybe anyways i get to see Derek, who runs torontomotorsports.com uh tomorrow can't wait to see him it's been just a little bit also the justice brothers joined us about four or five years ago makers of amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants and then finally discount tire who joined the usf championships this year so big thanks to all of them for making what we do possible and really and truly there are some big big hearts among all of them helping to give things whether it's money for graduation whether it's promotional items whether it's sponsorship right the justice brothers Winners of the Indianapolis 500, Rolex 24 Daytona, and seemingly every other major North American race with their ongoing sponsorship of teams, drivers, even silly little podcasts. So 
There you go. Some flower giving right here. Um, had a fun and amazing time last weekend in Monterey. One or two stories there from Wednesday that uh, someone remind me to tell you later in the year. I'm going to give a little bit of distance. Let's just say that I I had some fun on Wednesday. Not only with the, uh, the Herta family wheeling out that amazing 1998 Renard Kart Indy car, but some extracurricular fun as well that uh, got a call or two from some folks uh, wanting to uh, uh, talk to me a little bit. And you know what? Oh, man. It worth every word that was said. So, ah, so much fun. Um, hey, what else can we tell you here? Our pal Jerry Siddeth, who puts together our questions every week, keep in mind that Jerry's just a good friend and a, and a volunteer, and uh, he's on... Twitter, and I think Facebook as well. If you see Jerry, just please say thanks to him because this is an hour to an hour and a half each week that he volunteers just to help us make the show possible. He says this week we have almost 2,700 words worth of questions, Uh, 70 questions in total all over the place. Some of these are fun. A lot of these are fun. Some of these aren't. Maybe a little bit grumpy. Uh, but we'll weave throughout them and I'll get to as many as I can in about an hour. And yeah, uh, if there's enough to warrant doing a second episode, well, I can try and fire my little mobile podcast recording device here up maybe Friday or Saturday or something like that and get to more of them. So let's get going. Oh, got to hit the stupidest sound in the world. Hey, so I mentioned that we wanted to get through Monterey, let Romain Groschon's official time with Android Autosport come to an end before mentioning kind of what I consider to be a crazy story. Tell you up front, not going to be able to tell you everything, would like to and hope to, but there's still some things going on I hear that aren't fully resolved. So going to have to leave some of this off, but... Let's get into the main story that I've been hearing for about three or four months now. I believe June is when I started hearing this for the first time. But we've got to wind the clock back just a little bit to set things up so you understand where things ended up. You've got to know where they started. Romain comes into IndyCar 2021, Dale Coin Racing, impresses everybody. Only does the road and street courses. That was the main plan but then gets a taste of oval, says this is great, really truly came close to maybe winning possibly, but seemed on the verge, leaves Dale Coyne Racing after one year, goes to Andretti Autosport for 2022, signs a two-year deal, and high hopes didn't really manifest throughout this debut season. Michael Andretti being on the timing stand, it's just a lot of grumpiness, Missed opportunities. Not saying they didn't have some positives, but for the most part, it's a pretty dark cloud over things. And Roman's frustrated. Michael's frustrated. You're either seeing or hearing a lot of grumpy words going back and forth. Overall, 2022 was not a great debut for Roman with the team, the team with Roman. There was a little bit of things getting better by the end of the season, though. Started to get a better feel. The car was developed more to his liking. So we get to the last two or three races. 
while everything was by no means perfect, we had some rays of sunshine. Finally. Great. So we go through the offseason, come into this brand new 2023 season, and there's big smiles on Roman's face. The team done some good work during the offseason. One of the items they were missing across all the cars in 2022, qualifying was a big area, single lap pace, bit of a struggle for them, meant a lot of races, the team in general was starting farther back than they wanted, too many cars you have to pass, it's just, it's a nightmare. That was the thing that seemed to happen over and over again in 2022. So coming into 23, the team's made some big gains on the engineering side. Cars are definitely faster, have a very positive spring training. Kyle Kirkwood, again, super quick there. Things are really solid. We get to the first race, Romain, super quick, fighting for the win. We know that he and Scotty McLaughlin tangled, but nonetheless, we saw. Minus that, certainly could have gotten into victory lane to open the season. Go to round two at Texas. The result wasn't what they hoped for. It wasn't great, but there was still tons of potential. Quick, good, upbeat. Then we moved to round three. So we're into April. And Roman's super strong again. Streets of Long Beach. Teammate Kyle Kirkwood wins, but Roman's there challenging. Finishes second. Podium. Great. Truly. Everyone is just as happy as can be. Let's go to Barber Motorsports Park round four. Podium again. Really strong again. And if you just take into account, first race and second race might not have had the results that they wanted, but over those first four races in total, night and day difference. He, the driver, our friend, the Swiss-born Frenchman, just really feeling like this is it. This is what I've been hoping for. The team as well. Crazy upbeat. I'd heard there might have been an interest coming off of this amazing first quarter of the season to extend Roma, and knowing that he was on that two-year deal expiring at the end of 2023 to let's get this done now, right? This is, this is great. Forget last year. This is amazing. Had heard that that might be happening in and around Indianapolis once we get into the Indianapolis Grand Prix, Indy 500 practice and all that. Reached out, spoke to Michael Andretti and said, hey, seems like things are going well. You want to uh, to get this done now? Hold on to him. He said, yep, going to try and meet with him. Had some quotes, put up a little story, spoke with Romain. He said he was interested as well. So both sides were going to come together in May, halfway through, towards the end, whatever it was, hash out whatever an extension would be. Romain's known to be one of the higher paid drivers in the series, right? So going to figure out all these things going to extend you beyond 2023, everything is awesome. Indianapolis Grand Prix, the worst, but wasn't what they were hoping for. Indy 500, specifically, not great. I think Romain, that issue there, yeah, I think he finished 30th or so out of the 33 starters. Uh, Not a great day in Indianapolis. We get to the next race at Detroit. Crashed, crashed hard. This is coming off a crash just before it. And he's saying it's the car and there was something that malfunctioned there. And then we go to the next race at Road America. And again, he'd said that there were a variety of car problems during the race. I seem to recall writing something at the time saying like, I 
think they almost should be black flagging him, pulling him off track because he was off track what felt like every corner over and over and over again. Just a nuisance during the race. We have a very strong and changing dynamic. So first four races, sunshine, kitty cats, unicorn, ice cream, everything's great. We roll through the next four to five, and we're back in 2022, where we're, again, a lot of problems, whether it's mechanical, driver, hitting everything. It just It's getting not just dark, but flashback dark. Last year was not good. I thought we were past that. Oh, man, not only are we back to that, it might even be worse. So what does all this mean now that we're into like the third week for whatever, mid to late June? So what I'd started hearing around then was they did sit down and they did come up with contract extension. And so heard this from multiple sources, right? So I could say allegedly, look, no one's shown me the contracts, no one, right? But again, I've heard this from enough people, solid people to feel that this is something real. What I'd heard was a contract extension was agreed to. Those terms were put in print, and that extension, that contract, was given to Romain. Was that a paper contract? Was that a digital version, a docu-sign? Again, that's not uncommon these days. It's actually more common these days. I don't know. But I do know that I've been told by many sources since June that this contract extension that they both told me they were going to do happened. The part where this story gets turned on its head is from what I have heard from those multiple sources over and over again is that Ramad did as you would expect, signed it, returned it. I'm in. I'm good. Everything we agreed to, let's go returns it, and nothing happens, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. Return the contract, waiting for it to be countersigned, made official, we're done, let's announce it. As I understand, allegedly, this contract was offered agreed to, signed, returned, and no action was taken upon its receipt, making it possibly, and I don't, look, I'm not a lawyer. I wouldn't pretend to know the legal ramifications of binding, not binding. Again, don't know any of that. But I do know that we didn't see any announcements coming out. Hey, remember back (laughs) early May, end of April, whatever, both sides said we're going to get together and extend and keep working and hey these are the kind of things that if you do that you'd probably announce it right you're not waiting to the end of the season to make that decision you've both said yeah let's do it now but there's no announcement forthcoming that Romain Groschon has been extended continuing with with Andretti Autosport for another year or two however long and so it's around that time knowing that I hadn't heard anything terms of an announcement that I'm hearing from more people telling me the same story signed it returned it and the team has just sat on it and opted to not countersign it that's a pretty big deal 
So having heard this multiple times, I apologize that I don't remember the exact uh, point, whether it was mid to late June, the beginning of July, I don't remember. I know that I wrote a silly season piece with some wording or verbiage in there that fits all this. Remember reaching out to the team saying, hey, <clears throat> heard this crazy story and recounted it and said, I know for a fact you're not going to comment on this. I know you're not even going to touch it, but this is what I've heard. Offer the contract. He signed it, returned it. Y'all didn't countersign. Okay, I know you're not going to comment on this directly, even though I've just presented it to you, and you've said no words once I was done. <laughs> so <clears throat> just silence on the phone. Let me think of a creative way to ask this at, so I can maybe get some sort of comment or some sort of phrasing I might use in my next Silly Season piece. And so I said to this, Team leader at Andretti, uh, would it be safe to say that while there was great urgency and desire to extend Roma based off the early performances of the season, that the team is now no longer facing that same urgency, feeling that same urgency, and you're taking more of a wait-and-see approach. How's that? And was told, again, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of that would be in the correct direction of which this process is headed. So I'm like, great, thank you, great. And so I wrote in that, again, I apologize on the timing, late June, um, yeah, late June, early July, whatever it was, silly season piece, that, Racer understands while there was whatever, some urgency to get this done, team is taking more of a wait and see approach. So whatever it is, however exactly that I wrote that, that was all based on this conversation back three, however many months ago. But it was really clear, getting off the phone with the team leader, who again, wasn't going to put their name on it, wasn't going to confirm what I asked directly, and but was kind enough to acknowledge what I was presenting as uh, being accurate, this confirmed what I'd heard, and I wasn't the only person who'd heard this, but having heard it, that the team is basically not moving forward, it led to a pretty clear understanding three however many months ago that there was trouble here in paradise, and we had a situation where Everybody meant to go forward and then one pump the brakes. And with no announcement forthcoming, the team confirming to me that yes, indeed, we're taking a, again, a quote, wait and see approach. There's some issues here. And so if you look at Roma leaving June, there are some better performances that come in, right? Did really good, solid at Iowa, had some other solid finishes in there, ran well at Gateway, right? I mean, he was leading here at Laguna Seca, and there were some positives. But the overarching thing, which I was aware of going back a while ago, and which is why I've been pretty consistent in phrasing things, saying not expected to return once he completes his contract, again, uh... Try not to put too fine of a lens, too sharp of a focus on this because there's still some hope that there could be a reconciliation or fix. 
But it also became clear quite a while ago that barring some sort of radical shift in approach, this relationship was over. And this wasn't something that just came to light a couple of weeks ago. This was, without a doubt, something that stood out based by the action, then inaction of the team, based on all the things that have been told by sources and the kind of soft, don't want to touch it, but confirmation that what I'd been hearing might not have been too off track. We have this crazy scenario where one of IndyCar's two most popular drivers, who certainly had been embattled and Andretti, who had some things on the rise coming in 2023, but then had a steep fall off that the team felt it had something to hold on to and then ran away from that notion, which made me feel bad for Romain. We then saw over the last whatever number of races, relationships are getting really testy here. Uh, some yelling back and forth. Romain obviously not the, the warmest, happiest person over the radio to the crew, the crew firing back. I mean, this is a relationship breaking down. Just want to be clear here, this isn't something that just went sideways the last month of the season, and that's why they are no longer working together. This is indeed something that, based on the team's decision to pull back and not countersign that contract, as my sources have told me, this is a pretty big, crazy decision that I don't know if I've seen this before in IndyCar. Not saying it hasn't happened. I'm just struggling to think of a team saying, yes, let's do it, getting a contract done, and then pulling a, a maneuver that I think is fairly rare of the, thanks for signing it, but we're not going to countersign it. So again, allegedly. We'll see what comes out here, what might get confirmed, and who knows, the weeks or months ahead, but Whatever I've written, whether it's on Racer, whatever I've said on my podcast, whatever I've said in videos for the past good amount of time, just know that while I haven't been able to put all of this, didn't want to put all of this out during the season while they're still working together, knowing that there's some entanglements there to consider, and there's still some entanglements, I believe, um... This was not something that was of any real mystery or curiosity to me as to whether this is where it was headed. And it's not because I can predict the future. It's because I had heard back early as June that a very significant action, call it inaction by the team, brought this process of retaining Romain to a dead stop. And again, there was the hope that maybe things would turn around and the results would be great and he'd be back on the podium winning races, making everything fantastic like it was in the beginning of the season. But that simply did not happen. And one of IndyCar's biggest names, biggest stars, ended up having this bizarre thing happen where he was and is out of a ride despite it appearing that both sides wanted that to happen. And where do they go now? Can't exactly tell you. Have said here that the team intended to drop down to three cars. Heard that mention again that they could be looking to go to four, provided that fourth stay at four, provided it is a highly funded, highly sponsored program. But one thing I can tell you, 
There is no intention for Romain Grosjean to drive for Andretti Autosport again. His race last weekend in Monterey was indeed the final because of this alleged interesting or strange or however we should put it <coughs> contractual maneuver by the team. They are not moving forward. So that's the one that I wanted to hold until the season was over so they could part ways. We'll see if and when can talk about some of the other things I've heard that could be ongoing. I have not been able to confirm any of that with the team yet just because I haven't been able. But yeah, this story isn't over, but this is the core of what I've understood for months now to be the thing that meant Romain Grosjean would not be returning to Andretti Autosport. All right, let's get rolling with your questions Let's get going with the stuff that, you know, really just makes me... It has this going through my head. <laughs> you knew that one was coming, right? I didn't totally surprise you here. Uh, let's indeed get going with all of our questions. Again, put together by our pal, the amazing Jerry Sudeth. And I could see Jerry this weekend, by the way. Saw him at Indy for the GP in May. Uh, but get to see him this weekend again. Uh, Pat O'Day says, given the number of laps led under yellow at Laguna, did Oriol Servia finally get the pace car into the leader's circle? Oh, Pat. (laughs) I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, now wouldn't that be amazing? But this was also pretty grumpy. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read what I read. uh, What I read. What I wrote. I think on Monday, but the leader circle. Um, yeah, I had a friend of mine who was in a hospitality suite looking down directly on Devlin DeFrancesco's number 29 Andretti Honda uh, pit box. And oh, he was reporting on some crazy grumpiness going on there, all related to the leader circle. Uh, Devlin's car getting beaten up and hit, and you name it quite a bit uh, during the race. Some gearbox problems late in the race, was unable to maintain competitive speed. IndyCar black flagged him, directed him to his pit box for the team to try and inspect and find the problem, according to a series official who I asked after the race. uh, The team elected to bolt on a fresher set of tires and just sent him out, which the IndyCar pit officials were not expecting to happen, nor did they bless that to happen and then there was some pretty grumpy stuff there to which they said uh hey you're bringing the car back to the pits right now and you're done uh because i don't know what you just did but that wasn't what we told you to do this is what i'm told happened um and so devlin brought the car in and pit tech stood in front of the car blocking devlin from leaving again um, told that there was some pretty wild, loud gesturing and you name it, uh, between the team and pit officials, uh, all telling them to let them go and fighting for the leader circle and refused to do that and basically ended his race with four laps to go. Keep in mind again, because of the problems he was having, he was unable to maintain competitive speed. So forget the leader circle. This is a safety thing, and I am never going to argue against that, but uh, ended up missing out 
of making it into the leader circle would have tied at least one point shy of making it into the leader circle. In theory, would have needed two points to uh, really truly be clear to earn that final leader circle contract. But yeah, it's one of those things where nobody was happy. Nobody was happy. Um, but one of those things of uh, IndyCar doing its job. So, <laughs> Pat, love the question, and yeah, uh, maybe Oriole in that pace car should uh, get that 22nd and final leader circle contract. Uh, let's see, Lance Snyder says, what's a cleaner race? Your average dinner with racers Thursday night blunder or the Laguna Poop Show? Um, I think our friends at dinner with racers and their iRacing events where crashing is highly encouraged, if not just always on the menu, I think that might have been a finer demonstration of skill than what we saw from way too many of the drivers on Sunday in Laguna. Um, our pal Ryan underscore VB18, he is just a super awesome newer addition to the Prue Day, and he's been sending in questions lately, and that makes me so happy, so... Thank you, Ryan. Uh, Ryan says, do you think the repave worked maybe too well? Yeah. Look. <laughs> We're, we are cats, okay? We are cats. What do I mean by that? If you're not a cat person, you don't have cats. Cats hate change. Oh, boy. Uh, our cats at home, Rocky and Rosie. They were accustomed to being fed at 1 p.m. every day. My wife decided, you know what? These fools start complaining way too much around 10 p.m., 11 p.m. Their feeder doesn't go off till 6 a.m., automatic feeder. Um, we're going to move this to 3. And, right, that hopefully they won't be complaining as much. They'll be fuller, longer, and easier to deal with late at night before we go to bed. And I can tell you that despite making this change a couple months ago, oh, it is just nonstop from about 12 o'clock till 3. It's just sensory assault, meowing, jumping up constantly, clawing, like you name it, uh, especially Rocky. So I just mention all this because we're cats, okay? Hey, things were one way, we got accustomed to it, and hey, it, it changed pretty radically and like but it's different and things aren't the same and there are different outcomes. And yeah, um, it look, <laughs> could IndyCar have changed a thing or two about where restarts are taking place and you name it and maybe had half the cautions. Yeah, for sure. Uh, was the repave something where getting offline even by a little bit was super treacherous, just like we saw at road America with their repave. Yes, for sure. Could Laguna Seca add a little bit of paving? The corner exit of turn two and turn four in particular, just so that the dust and dirt and sand isn't so close to the, the edge of the track. And by adding some extra pavement in the outskirts of those corners, make it really rumbly and unfriendly and something you wouldn't want to drive over. So you're not indeed widening the track for the drivers to use but just creating more distance between the 
primary track surface being used and where bad stuff can get chucked onto the track. Yeah, for sure. couple things that I think we might see done before too long. But overall, Ryan, I mean, I don't want to blame the track surface because people have to control their cars. Uh, whether it's new track surface, old track surface, um, this was just not an event where restraint was demonstrated. The grip, extra grip, certainly made folks feel particularly heroic. That is a byproduct of a new track surface. So, yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, we still had way too many bad decisions being made by drivers. Uh, some of them maybe incited or invited, I should say, into those bad decisions by uh, restart policy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, we should return next year with hopefully some good tweaks made and a little bit of greater judgment exercise. Thomas Gross says, as per usual, expect race control to do the opposite of what it's, what is expected. Sorry, I'm struggling here to say words with my face. But what dirt does Herta have on those guys? Between the jump start and running into Rossi, he was all over the place. And then no penalty on Elio at the end for ending Herta's day? What a mess. Well, Thomas, I'll just say this. I love that you have singled out Herta and Elio. Um, I'm sure I'm wrong. I'm sure there's more. But I think legitimately it was... Actually, I don't even know. Um, like, there might have been three drivers who were just <laughs> more or less blameless. But seemingly everybody else, I think, got into each other, either got hit, did the hitting, or did both. I think those who did both was probably 75% of the field. So, yeah. Anybody who came away feeling grumpy that they were taken advantage of unfairly, I think Renus VK might be the only one, right? Because his day was pretty much ruined right away. Just mollywop, not his fault, like not the kid's fault at all. But seemingly everyone else hit somebody and got hit. And it all kind of, to me, it was a bit of a wash. But yeah, there were certainly some repeat, repeat offenders. I think Scotty Mack, I think our guy there, like there must have been some sort of checklist he had in the car. You know, oh, it's lap 64. Who'd, oh, I've got four drivers left I haven't hit. Well, let's go and get that taken care of. I mean, oof. Uh, and he finished on the podium. I mean, what's not to love? And he joined me after the race. Um, had two six-packs of beers that I bought and uh, saw him waiting to go up on the little uh, dais thing and do the media, whatever, press release, presser thing. And I'm like, you want a beer? He's like, no, no, mate. Uh, now I need to, uh, need, there's some little pill, I guess, that you can get now that kind of prevents a hangover. So he's like, no, I need to, got to take that first. And I'm like, I'm just offering you a beer, you silly guy. He's like, no, no, I'm good. Anyways, Dixon rolls in, sits down, sees the, the six packs of beer, uh, which I'd open up and I'd save for he and I to do our little, uh, victory lap video at the end of the race. And he's like, Nope, not waiting. Just reached in, grabbed one, and started knocking it back. I can only guess that uh, Scotty Max saw that from the back of the room because he walked over within, I don't know, a minute, grabbed same exact uh, from the same exact um, case and uh, started drinking as well. And uh, that was fun. Like, But that's... Granted, these are good guys. Know them, and that's just kind of the, 
who they are, but like that's the the side that I love most that I try to bring to y'all uh, whenever possible, whether it's in a video or a little photo or whatever it is. But like those are the real people who are the heroes and stars, the legends and the whatever. Like we revere them for these magical things they can do on track. Once they climb from the cars, though, that's who they are. Like, you know, Dixie didn't say, can I have a beer? He walked over, reached in, grabbed one, and cracked it open. And I grabbed one as well, cracked it open, we toasted, and drank. He didn't have to ask, right? Like, that's just the thing. He knows he's always welcome. Plus, he's the winner of the freaking race, and the greatest of his generation. And do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. If he wanted my sandwich, um, he can have my sandwich. Like, whatever. Like, I'm just saying. But that's that's who these people are. And I, I do love trying to reveal that as often as I can. Uh, because you don't get to see that. Because it's just not the thing that you know, uh, NBC is able to broadcast or has the time to show you these things, but just in their most human moments, their most relatable moments, it's like, nah, the guy just drove his behind off, wore himself out and coming in, what does he see? And what does he want? He wants a freaking beer, not for our little end of day video thing. Just he wants a beer because he deserves it. And he knows that those are for him, just as much as there anyone else, grabs one and enjoys it. And what does Scotty Mac do? Comes right over, does the same thing, grabs it, cracks it open, toasts Dixie, toasts me, and knocks it back. And I forget what it was. I think there was like 8% alcohol or something. A little, a little bit of heat on them. So uh, <laughs> that was kind of fun. So anyways, um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, to me, it feels like calling out any individual for their egregious behavior, Thomas, I don't know. Uh, they're all kind of a little, little naughty on Sunday. Uh, James Pan Coast, how you doing, James? Say, so not really an official question. I like the official part here. Not really an official question, he says, but what the actual F on those restarts? I know, I know. Like the... If folks were surfing, instead of being in race control, like, I kind of feel like that might have been the thing. Like, hey, weather was gorgeous. Let's go surfing, right? Hey, why wasn't this called? What? I mean, look, man, they're out uh, enjoying beautiful Monterey Coast and waves. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. I've kind of given up, James. I don't know what's going on there. Um... Yeah, I don't want to get into this rant again, but yeah. Uh, hey, let's go into 2024 with a fresh approach. Uh, let's see, Jason Finch. Say, how much would relocating the restart line uh, to the actual start-finish line, or at least between the start-finish line and turn 11 halfway, would that maybe prevent the last turn restart carnage? Uh, it would. It would for sure. Um, you just have everybody charging into turn 11 with things being green. And again, practice-wise on road and street courses, 
that green flag's waving, the race is on. It doesn't matter where you are. Uh, it is green. You can go. That's different than the start of the race, where there are rules in place of things you can or cannot do is the beginning of the race formally happens. But here on restarts, if that green's flying, we're racing. And, yeah, let's try and go four wide into turn 11, which I think you can really only do three. And it comes to a really abrupt stop. Like, it's the slowest corner on the track, I believe. Maybe the corkscrew, similar speed. But, like, in terms of something that's really wide and would invite three to four cars to try and go into it together which doesn't happen at the corkscrew. It's that like big high speed stop and everybody try and make up positions on each other and get around the corner, even though you can really only go too wide, but it just, yeah, again, it's one of those things that invites all the carnage that we saw. There should have been zero surprises that what happened done happened. Uh, so yeah, moving that around, making it more of a, hey, we're not giving you the green until most of the field is around turn 11. Um, that might not be the worst idea. Uh, let's see, what else? Or wave it coming out of turn 9. I don't know, maybe you stretch things out a little bit so folks aren't packed on top of each other. Whatever you do... Something where folks aren't stumbling and tripping over each other while trying to take positions away from each other. That tends to be the thing where we don't have yellow after yellow after yellow after yellow because people are crashing and flying and bashing into each other and ripping wings and noses and you name it off of each other and being stalled. So, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey May. So does IndyCar not worry about unsafe rejoins? Felt like Elio... Uh, almost taking the leader out as cause for concern for some concern. Just thought it was weird that it wasn't really talked about. Thanks as always. Um, yeah, a couple quick things here, Jeff. Maybe it wasn't talked about a ton on the broadcast. Doesn't mean it wasn't talked about heavily in race control, assuming they weren't surfing. Um, obviously, IndyCar would worry about unsafe rejoins, but keep in mind that this happened quick enough to where Elio, as a sovereign human being, made a decision in an instant decision and chose to pull onto the track. Like, Elio doesn't have race control in his ear saying, no, wait, left, stop, brake, turn. Like, that's not how these things work. Um, if we're talking about an oval where a spotter can see seemingly everything and could provide direction to their driver, who knows what might have happened, but to give them insight on what to do or what not to do uh, in the interest of safety, that's what will happen. But here, I can't think of any real spotters that would be telling Elio what to do and how to do it and when to do it in the race in turn three. Um, so yeah. Uh, I wouldn't really pile on here 
Jeff, in a gross negligence by IndyCar and don't they care about unsafe rejoins? It's not that at all. It happened really quickly. Elio made a bad decision. That's what happened here. Uh, In his final race, his final road or street course race, I know that we know him as a four-time Indy 500 winner, but keep in mind, this guy grew up and spent the first half of his life doing nothing but road racing. That's his core. This was his final road race, at least in IndyCar. But this is a big, meaningful weekend for him. Things started to go sideways a little bit early in the race. Had this little entanglement and then tried to get out of it as quickly as he could to try and preserve his day, his race, his final, you name it. Um, I get it. I get it that it looked bad. I get it that it was unsafe. Totally get that he almost took out Alex freaking Polo while he was leading the race. Like, nothing about this was good. And I'm not making any excuses for Elio. Just trying to give a little bit of context of why he's really in a rush to try and rectify things and get back out there and get going again, even if things were going sideways. He's trying to make sure that it wasn't the worst possible day for him can easily see in that mindset of this is the last hurrah, um, why he might pull out without fully recognizing who was coming up next or who he might scare the poop out of, that being our guy Alex Polo. So I would definitely put this down to more of a incident of the moment, Jeff, than some sort of Thing with a lot more levels to it of negligence or lack of care otherwise. Um, yet again, is this something where I think some instructions will be provided? Not just when we go back to Laguna next year, but in general. Hey, if you are off track, uh, we expect communications between you and your team to give you some guidance. We saw this on the broadcast. Uh, there should have been someone on the 06 Meyershank Racing stand that saw this on the broadcast. If nothing else, keep in mind they also have live telemetry that would show their car is no longer moving, uh, is no longer going around the track on a track map. Uh, is again that they can see clearly through telemetry that something weird is happening. Car is stationary, engine is idling, no wheel speed movement, etc. Dive on the radio. Elio, what's going on? Hey, I just, I'm off track and turn, okay, turn three. Okay, great. We're looking at the broadcast and okay, it appeared, hold on. Again, I think there could have been a little bit more intervention, but is this something where IndyCar can reinforce the fact of like, look, if you've just flown off in the dirt and you're not totally sure if you are clear to pull back onto the track, Look for a corner worker. Look for a track worker. They might not be directly in front of you across the track, but someone's running. Like a a corner worker is coming to your aid as best as they can because that's what those amazing folks, those amazing volunteers do. Wait for someone to give you guidance and direction. They might put their hand out and give you a stop, or they might give you a hurry up and go, but... If you're in a weird position, look for some sort of help. Maybe it's over the radio from your team. Maybe it's a corner worker. Don't just kind of freewheel it here because you spearing the race leader 
is certainly not how we would want your final race on a road or street course to end. Uh, let's see, where are we going to go from here? Let me take a look at how far we are into the show, because I can't really tell. You know what will help me here? There we go, I can see. All right. Got maybe about 10 minutes to go. Uh, Jake Ward, you say somehow Pato Ward's race strategy evolved into hoping for a stretch of green to make a pit stop. What was the team thinking? Pato's the only driver to run a clean race. Ends up having a bad strategy yet again. Bet Pato can't wait for a new season and new luck. Yeah. Gotta admit. Um... tell you i did not think that the uh, number five era mclaren entry this year had its finest finest days of race strategery um there are also some too many days i would say where pato didn't show the the maturation and and kind of career evolution you're hoping for right whether it is burning off the tires whether it's a variety of things where rising to that day's strategery challenge would have made the difference between winning and losing. He had a lot of podiums, crazy number of podiums, right? Fourth in the championship. There's no question how good he is. This team is extremely good as well. Um, did losing Taylor Kyle as his race strategist, did that show a little bit of its uh, rearward trajectory this year? Uh, I think it might. So that being said, I wouldn't single out Errol McLaren on this. Errol McLaren and Team Penske were somewhat frequently handed their you-know-whats for getting either race strategy slightly wrong or failing to have a element of boldness to it. Um, Chip Ganassi Racing did some amazing things in the second half of the year in particular with race strategy that got them into victory lane time and time and time again where we're going, what? How did you do that? And it's something. It's one thing if you do it once, maybe twice. When you do it like four races in a row, or however many in a row, yeah, that's not a fluke. That's that's some high-level stuff that I think a lot of other teams are going to be looking into going, okay, what? We thought we were on the right strategy, but we weren't. What led us to that belief? Where did Ganassi with Pelot or Dixon, when did they recognize something? What did they spot to make them say, uh-huh, we're going to veer left, we're going to veer right? Uh, and do something slightly different. Or, if it's not just make a big strategy change, what was it that led them to say, gas it up, go a trillion miles an hour? We are maximum attack from the moment uh, we start this stint. Why? What led them to that decision before the race ever began? What led them there? And I say this in, in all honesty, not just because it's kind of a recent buzzword, but like, AI. AI is becoming more and more of a thing when it comes to strategy and decision making. It's not new. Didn't just happen in 2023, but like, part of me wonders, like, huh, what, uh, what 
kind of things of Skynet suggesting that maybe uh, our friends at Ganassi are uh, getting that uh, others aren't. I don't know. Uh, and is that a part of it at all? Or is it just good people with experience and creativity coming up with better ideas without AI being involved? I don't know. I haven't asked. But yeah, these are things I think about. I know, I should get a life. Uh, let's see, Mark Graham. Say a couple years back, you didn't seem too positive with the new management and direction at Laguna Seca after some pricey renovations. The repave, the new bridge, and a couple of IndyCar events under the new management's belt. How are you feeling about Laguna Seca's future? I'm feeling, like, super good. Super, super good about it, Mark. Uh, I would say, without a doubt, John Narigi, uh, who is the track manager, just blown away any and all expectations I had for him. I thought that was going to be a failure fest. Has not been. He's really, really proven himself to be exceptional at what he does. And this is not a racing guy. No racing background. But he has adapted, picked it up, and brought all of his vast hotel management experience to really use those skills to the serious betterment of the facility, and then you have the recent addition of the Friends of Laguna Seca group. Um, some really sharp people there, deeply embedded Monterey, Central Coast types, uh, huge, huge players who they're now involved working with Narigi too. It's <clears throat> we're in a really good place. Uh, I see a bright, bright future here, way brighter. Um, I think I'm just going to look for a couple couple things to close here. Uh, this is one we're getting to just a little bit later than I expected, and I apologize for that. Um, Don Mayhew. Dan Mayhew. Not Don. Dan Mayhew. Apologies, Dan. Uh, you say, on top of the uh, poop show uh, of the race, Callum Eilat getting abuse uh, from Argentinian IndyCar fans again. You say he's had to restrict comments on his latest post. How does IndyCar and his team sort this out? Uh, let me make a, a distinction here. Augustine Canapino, his teammate, Argentinian. Team co-owner, team founder, Ricardo Juncos, Argentinian. Many of the folks on the team, Argentinian. Huge amount of fans of Canapino, Argentinian. Let's not limit this or restrict this to the folks from Argentina. Um, a fan of Augustine Canapino is and can be from any country, anywhere. I do realize that, yes, we can probably assume that an overwhelming majority of folks who are fans of Canapino are also from Argentina. I just don't want to paint stereotypes or false things here saying the country of Argentina is to blame because that's not the case and we know it. Don't care how many of the fans who have been disgusting towards Callum Eilat happen to be from Argentina. We cannot paint this one country and its residents as the sole source of this because we know that that is not the case. That distinction made. This is troublesome on many levels, Dan. I need to speak with Ricardo Juncos to gain some further insight here. 
with what went down in April, firmly believe that the hatred and vitriol spewed towards Callum was driven largely by one of the, the a broadcaster broadcasting the race, or commentator, I should say, in Argentina. Uh, blaming Callum for Augustine's problems in the race, and all of a sudden it was basically a, a call to action. Now again, not limiting the folks who went after Callum to strictly being in Argentina, but as I've been told by many, this was really the, the genesis of how it got started, and it was really bad. Death threats towards him, his family. Again, these are social media death threats. I say that with a little bit of effect on my voice by choice. I'm not saying that just because it's social media that it can't be real. Just know that a lot of people talk a lot of trash on a daily basis. A lot of people say some really alarming things to one another. Um in the rarest of instances do they actually act upon those words. Now, granted, doesn't mean that it couldn't happen. Just saying that at least as someone who's been on the planet for five decades or however long, I might receive these things with a little bit more of a grain of salt than others just because seen them and heard them forever. And in pretty much almost every instance, it's just empty words. Doesn't change the fact, though, that it sucks and that it's terrible and that you feel like the world is just hating you and wanting you to die. That was the effect. Was the Junkos hauling a racing team in this April incident at Long Beach, Dan, quick to respond? No, they weren't. They did respond, but didn't seem to know what to do, weren't crazy motivated to defend their guy. Those are the impressions that I had. What just happened now, I didn't understand. I didn't grasp. Uh, I left the TV screens with, I don't know, maybe 20 laps to go, 15, 20 laps to go. Didn't see the contact between Callum and Augustine. Uh, Was on pit lane. Wanted to have Augustine as my post-race driver guest, having seen his amazing performance all day long. Um... I'm not looking at my phone for social media responses from folks. So it took a little while um, after the race to feel and see, Jesus, here we go again. When I saw Ricardo right after the race, Augustine wasn't there. His car ran out of fuel. I wasn't even sure we were going to get him. So interviewed Ricardo. He mentioned to me, oh, you know, uh, Callum and, uh, Augustine again, you know, contact. I'm like, oh, really? Okay, because I saw Augustine's right front wing was broken and knew that that was impacting his the close to his race. But again, didn't fully realize what had taken place on track. To my knowledge, and again, I could be wrong, but I didn't see it shown on the NBC broadcast, at least before I uh, walked away from those monitors and headed to pit lane. So just sharing for a little bit of quick context here, wasn't aware anything had happened till the race finished. And instead of being just all smiles, because Callum finished fifth, Augustine had his best day in IndyCar, even though he finished 14th. 
Ricardo had a pretty grim look on his face. And I'm like, oh, geez, what, you know. Then he said, well, there's contact. Didn't really have a whole lot of free time to go into any detail. Okay. Speak to Augustine after the race. Don't think he really mentioned it at all. Was super happy about making it into the leader circle. $910,000 contract guaranteed from IndyCar and like, right? Just saying. Was there in the pits for 15, 10, 15 minutes right after the race. And other than Ricky's kind of not too sunny disposition about what took place between the two, it wasn't super doom or gloom. Didn't understand until later that, oh boy, this had blown up again. And later that night saw, I think it was that night, uh, Callum had posted the in-car clip from Augustine's car where it shows him going around the outside. And I slowed it down and watched it many times in slow motion back and forth and scrubbing the video back and forth to watch the movement. You can see Augustine was over to the left, got his left front tire at least, maybe the left rear onto the apex curbing. Saw that that caused some oversteer because you can see Although it's a left-hand turn there at turn two, you can see briefly his tires are turning right. So he And you can see his hand moving too. It even looks like his hand, his right hand comes off the steering wheel. I'm not sure. It looked like it. But you can see very clearly that he, the car is sliding momentarily on the inside curbing and he's having to correct a slide. The tires tell that story. They're, he's counter-steering to prevent, to slow down and stop that slide. But that slide and the counter steering and that steering to the right takes his right front wing into Callum's left rear tire. It wasn't Callum turning left into Augustine and breaking the wing. It was brief and tiny, minuscule. But there was this little moment of oversteer where he had to catch the car, had to turn the steering wheel to the right to do that, and that with his slide, took him further than he wanted to into the path of Callum's car, broke that right front wing on Callum's left rear tire. Well, again, as I started to read things and had some of the translation, folks are doing translations of what's being said. Oh boy, not pretty yet again. Blame, 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 all on Callum, all on Callum. Then I'm starting to see on like Monday, Tuesday... Oh, there's some really not fun things that were said uh, by his teammate and by Ricardo as well. And it took more than 24 hours for the team to put out this weak, lame, If you wanted to send a message that you were doing something just because someone told you you should compared to doing it because you firmly believed folks were behaving the wrong way and shouldn't be taking it out on Callum. There was a time to do that shortly after the race, that night at least, more than 24 hours later, and don't even mention Callum, don't even mention his name, just Dan, kind of a, hey, you know, gosh and golly, and, you know, hey, everybody be civil. Yeah. Um, the manner in which this was handled, 
gave a pretty clear impression, at least to me, that the team fully backs one driver, that being Augustine, and does not back the other, that being Callum. Could be wrong, but big believer in actions. What you do or what you don't do or the time it takes you to do something, those things have meaning. And when you do choose to do something, it's more than a day later, and it's some lukewarm, barely there words. Yeah. Um, I just share all this. A little bit of a winding story, Dan, maybe. But this is my concern. Two things. One, let's say everybody agrees that we're great, and we all sit around the table, and we drink milk and eat cookies, and we're all friends again. Everything's wonderful. Fantastic. Let's say that Callum and Augustine continue racing as teammates next year and never have any contact, never have any issues, never anything whatsoever. My concern here is fans of Augustine have now proven on two occasions that if they feel a driver has done something wrong against their favorite driver or they've been inspired to believe so by a broadcaster or whomever. Hey, what if Marcus Armstrong makes a mistake and damages Augustine's car and takes him out while he's running well? Or pick any driver other than Callum. If this is the knee-jerk, seemingly guaranteed response from this really big and powerful fan base. If anyone makes any mistake, their fault or not, and Augustine's race is negatively impacted, is this the new norm? I really hope not. But that's what my takeaway was here. Oh boy, is this just what we have to fear? Any driver. Could be Pato, could be Scott Dixon, could be Stingray Raw, doesn't matter. If anybody does anything negative towards Augustine's big and powerful and vocal fan base, is this kind of instant attack to the point of death threats by some? Is this it? Is this the new norm? Well, if it is... There need to be some changes. IndyCar put out a statement in April saying, I mean, it was a pretty strong statement. If they've put out something after this incident, I've missed it. This really makes me believe IndyCar, Penske Entertainment, needs to have some words with Hunkos Hollinger Racing to say, you know what? I realize y'all can't control how anybody responds about anything, unless they're your employees. Anyone other than your employees who you can enforce some behavioral expectations over, I get it. You can't do a thing if folks decide to react whatever way if something bad happens towards Augustine as caused by another driver. But guess what? And pardon my French, waiting more than 24 hours? That's bullshit. Not even mentioning the driver's name to take it easy on? 
That's complete BS. So here's the new plan. If at St. Pete opening race next year or the million dollar whatever race at Thermal Club or whatever, someone smacks Canapino's car out of the way and wrecks him and whatever and all of his fans, every single one, decides to go on a social media attack, here is the new standard operating procedure that we at IndyCar have devised with you and within, (laughs) before the cars have come to a stop, this is how this is going to be handled. This is the statement. This is how it's handled, when it's said. I need this. Look, I don't just want words. Ricardo, uh, Augustine, whomever, we want you to film something right now. We can put this in the can. It says, hey, everybody calm down. Say it in Spanish. Say it in English. If you know any other languages, say them in those as well. But this, we're just going to kind of let this stuff float and tear anybody down. Again, when I say I don't care, I don't mean I don't care. But I don't care if it's Callum. I don't care if it's Alexander Rossi. I don't care if it's Will Power. <laughs> I don't care if it's Marcus Erickson. This is not acceptable. And if a team shows it is unwilling to be extremely proactive and impartial, that's the impression I've received here that has been lacking. That is impartiality. Could be wrong. Hope I'm wrong. But damn it. If you've seen a penchant for folks to bite and bite hard and try and do real harm with words or proposed actions of death this isn't something to play with this isn't something to slow roll or decide to act upon in whatever degree you feel is justified or not so this isn't me blaming indycar not that at all this is me saying after two demonstrations of the same thing After the first one didn't really seem to have anyone of the team hopping to action, maybe they didn't know what to do. Maybe, I mean, right? Maybe, hey, maybe they'd never seen anything like this before. Didn't have instant thoughts or actions or reactions. I don't know. Is that a case where you reach out to IndyCar right then and say, crisis moment, what do we do? You be our guy. I don't know. But I can tell you, with it having happened once, There's no excuse for anything other than an immediate and swift and loud and vocal. Cut it out. It is not acceptable. Wanting to see that in words, video, action, passionate response from Ricardo, from Augustine. Because whether you think Callum's at fault or not, or name any other driver is at fault or not, That is not the central item here. It's this bullying, this targeting, this threatening. If you're not going to be the one to get right behind it and say no, you're saying yes. More than 24 hours later, you're sending a real message. So this to me is something where IndyCar was in a prime position to say, you know what? Gave you 
two opportunities to get this right, and you got it absolutely wrong. Somewhat wrong the first time, extremely wrong the second. You don't get a third chance. This is what we're doing going forward. You want those leader circle contracts? Great. We give them to you at your leisure and our leisure. Um, we're going to need a little something extra from you here. Meet us at IMS Productions. We're going to film something. And in case this happens with any other driver, we're going to have something ready to roll out the moment that it happens. The first nasty, negative, threatening tweet that we see come through, boom. It's going live across all of IndyCar socials and all of yours. And if we need to do more, then we're going to do more. And if we need to keep going and fighting this, it's a fire. And we have to fight this fire immediately, vigorously, and to put it out as quickly as we can. We aren't starting the fires, but damn it, we have the ability to fight them. So that's how we're going to close the show, Dan. We got a lot more here. Uh, folks asking about Ryan Hunter Ray, more about Leader Circle, uh, Thermal, uh, what else? Uh, scrolling through here. Folk uh, wondering when new drivers going to new teams actually join the teams. Uh, Andretti Autosport, Laura Rose asking about thoughts on swapping strategists. Uh, our pal Indy Amy. I'm hoping I get to see Indy again this weekend. Uh, curious about radios and radio quality. Michael Everson asking about modern IndyCar budgets. Uh, our pal Mama G-Force weighing in, just being her sweet and incredibly giving self. Um, there's plenty more that we didn't get to, and I realized that we went a little bit more than an hour than I said we would, but that's okay. Um, appreciate y'all. Really do. I need to uh, hit the good old stop button here and get this posted. And, yeah. Uh, Going to be crazy busy with IMSA stuff over the next four days. Get home Monday, I think, late morning. I uh, have about a week and a half home, then another event, then a, what, I think a week and a half home, and another event. And Oh, boy. Yeah, one of these upcoming days, I'm going to wake up and actually take a day off and do no work and just stare at maybe the TV, you know? It might be what my wife says, uh, actually, the, the TV staring at me. Sit on the couch, hopefully fall asleep all day or many times throughout the day and just let the TV stare at me for a little while. But that's my dream. Appreciate y'all. And we I'll probably, maybe, hopefully, you tell me. Uh, after I post this, you tell me, for those of you who made it to the end, um, if you want me to get through the other questions here later this week, um, I will make time to do that. Otherwise, I'm Marshall Pruitt. This is our Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Your Week in IndyCar Listener Q&A brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and... <laughs> Had to hit you with it at least one last time. Discount Tire.